Alright you guys, welcome back to Little Man Big Conversations. I'm of course Little Man, aka James, aka The Flash Man, welcoming you back for Season 2, Episode 2 of the Little Man Big Conversations Podcast. Hey, we're going to kick it off today with Part 2, with The Maniac. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the debut of Season 2 last week with Part 1 with The Maniac, and now, without further ado, here is Part 2. I didn't tell any of the boys that I was arrested or nothing. And I think that is what solidified my relationship with them because they would then find out somehow that I was a wrestler. Uh, or they did say to me, you know, you, you should join us. Why are you doing security work for? And I'd go, oh, there's a story behind that, so don't worry. And then they must have dug around and they'd find out. Mm-hmm. They'd go, man, why are you not with us? I said, my age. And they said, who, who said that? And I can remember it was MVP. We were sitting down in catering and he said, show me some stuff. So I showed him the video on my phone. He goes, how old are you? And I told him how old I was. And he said, that's what Canyon said, you were too old? I said, yeah. He goes, fuck Canyon. (laughs) What does a fucking pro volleyballer know about wrestling? Yeah. I said, it's not for me to say. I said, I've just accepted where it is and what it is. And I'm quite happy doing what I'm doing now. I said, I still wrestle independently. My focus is security with you boys. I get to be with you guys several times a year, travel overseas with you boys. You know, I get more of a kick out of that than having to, to jump in the ring now. I said, because at the end of the day, when we hop on that bus to go back to the hotel, I said, you're hurt and I'm not. <laughs> yeah. With the pandemic, did that affect, has that affected your work uh, immensely? It's changed. It hasn't affected it um, because basically prior to that, we were doing personal protection work. I just recently with Van Dam, mm-hmm. John Travolta. I've been with Steven Seagal, you know, real big names in the movie industry. I was with them protecting them or right across Australia. Um, that subsequently has stopped due to, you know, borders being closed, no international travel, no big events, no mass gatherings. So that has ceased for the time being. <clears throat> but our other work, which was, the, the crowd control work that we had a contract for in our lap where we needed to supply security to supermarkets. So that is what has kept our head above water. And no word from the guys overseas. Is that still a thing? It's just a matter of a waiting game now? Yeah, definitely. Look, I've spoken to some of the guys in WWE and all that. We talk regularly, in fact, and they've said that obviously the tour, which was set for this year, has been canned, but they've already advertised it for next year. Mm. Yeah, well, man, I'm um, I'm hoping it, it, it all kicks off as, as, as soon as it does, if not sooner. So during this downtime now, work picks up for you, and is there ever a conversation or is there ever a thought of, yeah, I want to get back into the wrestling? Because having that talk and having that, that moment of, yeah, no, it's your age, you know, with Canyon, that must have put a big sort of, you know, almost like invisible breaks on what was then, you know, the six years that at that time that you were doing the wrestling, was it was it getting to that point where you went, oh, is it even worth continuing? Did you feel like you wanted to, to stop? Um, look, it's, <clears throat> as, as you would know yourself, it's something that's inside. Can't of course, yeah. You cannot get rid of it. It's always going to be there. Yep. I mean, to this day, uh, I talk with a lot of it. I'm really close with all our lads that are in uh, the bullet click and so on. Uh, mm-hmm. Spaceman and Coyote, uh, especially. Um, and they just posted in a chat the other day the, the grand final match from a WA in Adelaide where I wrestled Rocky Monero in the steel cage for the title. I only watched that this morning, and it just brings back that itch. You see 
what had happened. You see the crowd's reaction, all that sort of stuff. And then uh, you think, oh, can I do it again or can I not? You know, I'm 46, almost 47. Mm. Multiple injuries left, right and centre. Can I do it once more or can I do it a little bit more or not? Or do I want to spend that time away from my family again like I did before because I saw what that did? Um, and, I mean, look, I have uh, an amazing nine-year-old little boy that relies on me heavily. My other son is 17, so he's, he's his own man. Mm -hmm. uh, he'll be 17 shortly. Um, so my priorities are a lot different now than back then. So, you know what, if it was a once-off, if it was a reunion kind of thing, especially with maybe the bullet click or something like that, then, you know, my interest could be peaked. Um, I'm, I'm still in pretty decent shape, even at my age. So um, it's not like I'd, I'd go out there like an old fellow with his guts hanging out and look like crap and not be able to do anything. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, look, it's, it's there, but whether it's possible is another thing. You know, I had one promoter tell me he wished I moved to Melbourne because I'm just a marketing godsend. He said, the shit I could do with you is ridiculous. I said, yeah, but Melbourne's too cold. So. <laughs> You like the sun too much. Yeah, well, not that there's much here in Adelaide at the moment either. So, so life's happening for you at this point. It's an even balance. So the wrestling and the business has taken off. You take that break now. Where's life at you at the, for this point? Because um, you, you're thinking at this stage, I don't know if wrestling's going to be for me. You know, it's it's sort of that touchy thing where you do you you get to sort of work with wrestling to a certain extent, like you said, with the people that. You do security work for, you're still friends with now, you show the footage to them, or, or you tell, retell a story, I should say, of uh, Canyon. Mm. Um, are you getting your feel of wrestling at that point? Is that enough for you? Because although you're not active in ring, you're still sort of involved in that world. And now you're meeting and mixing with the guys that arguably you could have been watching, obviously not in the 80s, but you know, while you're coming up, these guys are also coming up, you know, being on Raw and SmackDown and whatever was around at that time. Is that enough for you? Are you feeling sort of like, hey, if I never get in the ring again, this is still pretty cool? And obviously you don't say it to them, but mentally, were you having that mindset for you at that point? Yeah, look, I at that time as Hunter was born, my youngest, Yep. Um, and it was not pressure, but it was insinuated that, you know, you need to be around a lot more. Right, of course. I certainly wasn't for my oldest son, um, which I wish I could change, but we can't do that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one of the main reasons why I stepped away. Plus, I was hurt as well. I had multiple injuries and all that. And being told, you're getting older now, you know, isn't it a bit much for you and so on. And I was taking all that in. Business was doing quite well and so on. Um, but then it come a point where the relationship had pretty much dissolved uh, right. and my ex-wife had decided to leave state with my youngest son, uh, right. which was not something that I wanted to happen and not something that I knew about. So I had, my feeling was as I needed to follow them to be in my son's life. I was not going to allow that to dissipate and not, I wasn't willing to lose my son. Of course. So at that time I had to shift and move and I ended up up in Queensland and in turn it was a, a struggle, a battle. You know, I was homeless for a little bit, lived in a car. Wow, really? I'd lost everything. I'd lost my company. I'd lost any earthly possession that I had. I was lucky to get some clothes 
and a car, and that was it. Um, and she'd managed to lock herself away in a gated community where I couldn't even approach them to talk to them. Mm-hmm. So it was really tough up in Queensland. Queensland used to be one of my favourite places to travel in Australia. I used to love it. I used to love the Gold Coast. Family would go up there, we'd do it all. Uh, and then this happened, and now to this day, it's probably one of the worst places that I can stand in Australia, just because <laughs> memory-wise and so on. Of course, yeah. So to speed it up a little bit, so I'm in Queensland. I'm there basically trying to get involved in my son's life and so on. Coyote lives there, Spaceman lives there, so I have a nice support network. I start doing security work up there. Um, I get Coyote into the club where I'm working as well to work with us. I get Space in there with us to work with us. Um, Lo and behold, we're working at Hollywood Showgirls, the strip club on the Gold Coast. Yeah. I'm the head of security now. Josh is there, Space is there. So we have an extremely good team in this environment, you know, and it's it's working really well. we start to do a little bit of wrestling and so on. For you know, Greg had Supernova up there in the Gold Coast. We did that at the convention center. Um, by this time, I've got a lot of my tattoos as well. So my image has changed a lot. Um, and this will transfer into where we created this stable because this is where it happened in Queensland at that time I was up there. Yeah, because this... This thing, just as a bit of a prelude, is uh, it, it was a mix of it caught fire real quick, mm. and then there was a lot of people that were fired up, mm. quick, sort of almost, if not weekly, like the week of, but hell, man, even maybe a th- three or four days in, and it wasn't just a case of mumbles and grumbles here in Queensland, it 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 spread very very quickly and very very fast. Yeah. So. So obviously those guys are still active in the scene up up here at that point, and they're sort of doing their own interstate journeys as well. Mm. Uh, you know, you had gone overseas. You had wrestled in, um, was it Minnesota? Was that during the Indianapolis? Yeah, Indianapolis. I wrestled over there for a company and became a undisputed uh, world heavyweight champ. Took the title and actually brought it home to Australia with me. You still have it? Still got it. It's framed <laughs> in my office. <laughs> Well, if they're all looking for it. <laughs> hey, I've got all my titles that I want. I've got, I think there's 11 titles, you know, uh, three world heavyweight titles and eight Australian heavyweight titles. So, Well-deserved, I should say. Hard work. Yeah. So you're, you get, are you sort of getting the itch again now? Like these guys are getting into your ear like, hey, man, you know, you should come back and do it. You should come back and do it. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I've done a couple of shows. I can't remember. I think it was, it might have been Venom. Um because I think Venom and Prowl, oh, Prowl would have been the first one that I would have done in Queensland. Uh, that's when they brought out the Super Hulk heavyweight title, I think it was called. Yep. Uh, and myself and Coyote were the first two guys to wrestle for it to, to name the new champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I subsequently won that and became the first, first Hulk champ. Um, and then things have progressed from there and we're doing a bit of wrestling here and there and uh, Coyote and Space are like two of my closest friends, extremely tight. Yep. Talk daily, you know, we work together in the club and so on like that. And there was a behind the scenes group of people that were also involved with us. It was a tight group, a guy called Carl, who's a really good friend of ours. He's wrestling mad. Stan's another one, he's wrestling mad as well. Um, and we collectively got together and we had this little chat where we'd talk about things. And at that time, you know, the Bullet Club was massive in New Japan. 
Mm-hmm. We're seeing them as the rebellious sort of people. They're doing the, the trigger finger poke, pointing, all of this sort of stuff. They've got merchandise. Their merchandise is going through the roof because it just looks cool as shit. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, that's, that's pretty damn cool. I like that. And it was one night, I think, I was sitting there and we were either chatting in our little chat group or whatnot, and I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd had a few drinks and was just a little bit happy. And I said, you know what? I said, that Bullet Club stuff is pretty damn cool, but I reckon we could do it better. And he's like, what are you, what are you talking about? You're just pissed. You know, yeah. don't be stupid. And I go, no, I am pissed, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. I think what if we were to combine two together to make one? And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, what if we take the Bullet Club and we take the click from WWF and join it together. They said, what do you mean? I said, make it the bullet click. Mm. And I think it was Josh was the one that's gone, oh, my fucking God. He said, that's an amazing name. Mm. And Carl's jumping because Carl's a very behind-the-scenes kind of man that thinks about all the technical wrestling and how this and that gets done. And, and it just started to steamroll that night. We were talking for hours online. And I even managed to slap up the mock um, logo yep. that we had, <clears throat> which is somewhat a ripoff of the Bullet Club's thing with the two guns and so on. But what we did is we put a, a zombie-style skeleton in the middle, mm-hmm. with the and the sunglasses. We put the wings behind it like you would have for the Expendables. Mm-hmm. And then we had two massive, I think it was two shotguns there, machine yep. guns, sorry, two machine guns. And we all pretty thought that that was a pretty damn nice-looking logo. Um, and it got refined by a friend of mine, actually, Tony Philippe, who I wrestled, refined the logo for us. And we come up with this coolest shit logo. And we're like, fuck, that's, that's unreal. Mm. And then we're like, what do we do with it? I said, let's, let's make it happen. And they're like, what do you mean, let's make it happen? I said, let's make it happen. Let's create a group. And they're like, ah. You know, you know, people are probably going to go, oh, you're just ripping off the Bullet Club and this and that. And I said, exactly. I said, let's do it. That Yeah, that's what we're doing if you want to think about it, but we're not trying to be the Bullet Club because there are all these Japanese wrestlers and you've got Finn there and all that. Mm. I said, let's make it that the rib is, is that, yeah, we are ripping them off and we take the attitude that we just don't give a fuck. Let's turn it completely into a heel stable, I said, because I'm not normally the heel, neither is Coyote. Space can play either. He's amazing. And I said, let's do it. And they're like, shit, can we do it? And I said, yes, we can do it. Let's, we've got this cool as shit logo now. Let's do it. So then we thought, how are we going to promote this? How are we going to release this? So we've had this clip made, which was static. Then it turns into an explosion. Then there are all these clips of police riots and people getting bashed and more explosions. And then you've got these chicks in bikinis with machine guns just shooting at shit. And it was a really basic but confronting clip. And then at the end, the logo just appears from the back and it sits there. And all it says at the bottom is, we are coming. Mm-hmm. We released it. Well, we got a wrestling site to release it or whatever and just said, don't fucking say where it comes from. So they did, and it got traction within minutes of it being online. Who the fuck is this? Who's that? Who's this going to be? This is going to just be blah, 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 blah. And it started people talking everywhere. Mm. And it started to go from Australia. It started to build and get bigger and bigger and bigger. 
And we were like, we couldn't believe how fast it caught traction. You know, there was good comments, there was bad comments, there were people bagging it out. We loved any attention it got because mm. it, they were talking about it. Mm. And it just, it steamrolled. And then we thought, well, we're not going to tell anyone who's in it. It's going to be the biggest surprise everywhere. And everyone's trying to think of who it's going to, oh, it's going to be this person, it's going to be that person, it's going to be shit, it's going to be crap, blah, 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 blah. So we managed to get into the promoter's ear from VPW and said, dude, it's us. And it was me and Coyote at the time. I said, we're behind this. We're the bullet clip. Can we debut on your show up here? Mm. He's like, hell yes. He goes, how do we do it? We talked about it. We got us out the back without anyone knowing. Me and Josh had these two, like, balaclava masks that were from some game, some online game. I don't know what it was. Yep. And we'd had two shirts made up with the logo on it. Yep. Uh, and we, Carl was the one that came up with our music. It was Overlord by, um, what are they called? I can't think of the names. I can see their logo and everything. I can't think. But the reason we took that song was it has this kind of pornographic 70s rift at the start, which in turn mimics the NWO. Right. So what we were doing, we were combining the Bullet Club, the Click, and the NWO all together mm-hmm. in one faction. We, we kept everything black and white, the logos, anything that was posted online, any photos were always black and white. There's mm-hmm. no photos, nothing whatsoever. So that was the theme that we went for. So we had, I think it was a tag team tournament to crown the VPW tag team titles and they had all these teams in there. And then all of a sudden this music starts and it's got this porno riff starting and what we did is in between the porno rift and when they started singing the song, we inserted a big machine gun sound, you know, da, 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 da. so that was the point of when we walked out. So I've walked out with my shirt tucked in, my pants at the front hanging down like Ray Mysterio does. Josh has got the shirt on and we've got these balaclava things on. Clearly they can tell it's me and Josh as we walk out. They're not idiots. Yep. But as we rip the mask off, everyone just goes nuts. Mm. We get into the ring. We absolutely destroy the first team to progress further into the the tournament. <clears throat> Go backstage. Everyone's just going fucking nuts. It, it was the perfect debut hmm. uh, for the second match, and basically we're we're squashing them again and all this. But this time, what happens is, I something happens and I lose my shit and I jump straight into the ring and jump on the guy and just start bashing the fuck out of him and we get disqualified. But we don't care because we just keep pummeling and pummeling and pummeling and our tombstone and we do this and Josh does that and the crowd went nuts for it because we were just being so renegade style towards authority. You know, even the, the ring announcers, we go, you've got to stop, you've got to stop. I'd stop and turn around and give the ring announcer the finger and go, fuck you. And then I'd, and the crowd would just love it. Mm. They'd not seen this type of heel work. I don't know if it'd been ever or for a long period of time or whatever, but they ate it up from that minute and then all of a sudden it exploded. Ah, oh, it's fucking Maniac and Coyote, two of the biggest men in Australian wrestling. Well, let's hope they can pull it off because it's a big ask because at the moment there's a lot of negativity, yada, 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 and it just started to build from there. And then we started to think, on, oh, we need to make this bigger. How are we going to do it? Mm. Of course, Space was a wrestler at VPW, but he was kind of, he was in the mould. He was there, but he wasn't there, but he wasn't, he, he hadn't broken out yet. 
Right. We had a, a tag team match where it was the three of them on to me and Coyote, and Space was one of the three. Yeah. And the sneaky way we brought him in is we had a T-shirt under the ring. And what happened was we d destroyed one of the team and there was Space and the other guy left. And we've been hammering this other guy. And then he finally manages to get away and he goes to reach over to tag Space to, to tag him in. Space powders off the apron, puts his hands up and backs away. And everyone's like, oh, my God. Space comes running around to the corner, gets under the ring where we are, pulls the shirt out from underneath, throws it on. So there he is with our logo on there and jumps in and just pummels this guy. Yeah. By this time, we've got our own bullet clip bat, a baseball bat like Sting in the NWO. Mm -hmm. But there's, a, there's this amazing photo that I've still got somewhere. There's Space sitting on the by, giving him a, the Steiner recliner with a baseball bat, choking him out. Josh is standing behind him, looking around to make sure no, I'm standing there laughing. We've got all our gear on. And it's just from that, we couldn't have asked for a better better debut for space or for the traction to continue on with us for that, uh, that stable. And then it just grew from there. It was massive. Yeah, I remember. I vividly remember that that second match you were talking about, where you were doing the beat down and people ring the bell, and it just keeps going. Yeah. Um, I think that had been the second time for me seeing you in person. I think I had a few blurry run-ins with you when I was heading into the uh, <laughs> previously mentioned Hollywood Showgirls. Uh, I won't go into <laughs> any more details. I behaved myself to the best of my recollection. When I once I had known that the maniac was there, I definitely behaved myself, and um, not that I would be uh, of any challenge if I decided to be rowdy. But that notwithstanding, this was the, the 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 biggest memory that I can think of, recent memory that I could think of, seeing that imagery and seeing the bullet click thing, and yeah, you you are quite right. It it did light that spark um, very very quickly. I think another Queensland-based wrestler joined and i think it was jake nova uh yeah he was he the next one to come in he might he might have been nova was yeah we brought and you know what nova was brought in the night of the show we didn't have any idea that we were going to bring him in we didn't even contemplate it and we were talking backstage and something was said and i've gone and i've looked at him and you know he's got this jesus christ look with the long hair and the beard and you know, his gear looked amazing and all that. And I thought, shit, that could work, you know, because I was more so thinking at the start we were going to keep the stable massive. Yeah. Big physique guys on that. But Nova can work big time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of just all fitted together. And I'm like, shit, how do we do it? And I think Nova was playing the special guest referee in, uh, was it a tag match? I think it was a tag match that me and Josh were going for the VPW tag titles. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, and Nova was the special guest referee, and then the two guys that had the belts, one of them couldn't make the show, so it was a handicap kind of style match. Right. I think that's how it worked, and Tim Cade was involved in it somehow at the end, and we won the match. We put the guy in a whole bunch of tacks, and we got the, the titles, but we revealed we stripped the ref shirt off Nova, and there was our BK shirt underneath. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. Yeah. Yep. And they, they all lost their mind. Yeah, they're like, shit, now he's with them. Mm. And I, I remember I remember Tombstone and Cade uh, at the end of that. And it's funny because I flipped him up and because he's not the biggest guy, he's very light so I can spin him around. And as I've turned him upside down to Tombstone, he's put his foot through the roof <laughs> and moved one of the tiles in the roof. And I'm like, shit, I'm going to have that fall down on my head. So 
I put him down in the tombstone as fast as I could, hoping that nothing was going to fall from the roof. But yeah, yeah, that that was that was how an overcoming. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but I I definitely remember. I'm not sure of the numbers. Um, and I'm, I'm sure maybe maybe Kyle will know the the order, the chronological order of people that attended. But I, I it's just in terms of uh, states, Blake Stone was another yeah. one. Um, Diamond from Queensland. Yeah, Jay Diamond. Um, I think there was another. Oh, uh, Nikki Nitro. I think was Nitro from Sydney. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Are these guys reaching out to you guys at this point, saying, "Hey, I want to be a part of this," or are you sort of going, "Hey, hey, man"? Yeah. It was a bit of both. It was a bit of recruiting. Like Blakestone hadn't had any idea on what we were doing. He, he had no idea, and I, I told him about the idea, and he, he thought about it for a bit, and then he went, "Yeah, you know what? That sounds pretty cool." So, uh, Nikki kind of knew about it already and she goes yeah you need a woman in there and i'm the one for it and i went you know what you're probably right so right. Jade, jade was a no-brainer you know good looking built guy that works up in queensland he'd be and i'm in my head i'm looking at it well he can tag with space and that would just be an awesome tag team you know he can tag with josh he can tag with me you put blake stone and jade diamond together two massive unit guys like that and i said that's the image that we want so it just started to steamroll from there. Then we got, um, it's not in order, of course, um, Craven from mm-hmm. AEW in Perth. We brought him in. Uh, the way he got brought in is he had to wrestle Space uh, and he won and beat Space and he earned his spot in with us and then Space presented him with the shirt in the ring. So that was a cool way to bring him in. Um, similar way with Blakestone. We had the Shark, Andrew Carter, he came in the night I wrestled Scott Steiner. We brought him in on that evening. That was a massive way to bring him in. Um, and then we had all the internationals. We had, you know, the Mecca Wolf, who was, you know, currently wrestling in the 205 for WWE. Right. Chuck Stevens, who was ex-TNA tag team champion, the Naturals he was called. Um, oh, and then we had, you know, uh, Trexus from Singapore. He was one of ours. We had another guy from England, I can't think of his name. Uh, we had um, the guy who used to be the maestro in WCW. He joined as well. Um, so it was just, it was growing massively. It was just so quick. And, you know, people going, I want to be a part of this. They go, I don't give a fuck what people say. Mm. You guys don't give a shit about it. This is incredible. You're just such a, like an antichrist. But people are like, we would sell out of merchandise. We'd have to make sure that we'd have at least 100 T-shirts at every show because people would buy them and they would just sell out. And we'd continue to make different logos, different pictures, and that's what the people like. But there's always something new, and we put the effort back in to the stable itself. Was there ever a time, and I know, like, you know, it's so different now from when you first started um, and even when I first started, the rise and the as much as there's a positive, there's always – a lot of negative is the uh, the sort of rise of social media. Now, when you guys had done that, um, like we said, you know, it, it caught on really fast. A lot of people getting into it. It was getting over. But on the other side of the coin, man, you got so many people uh, not only enjoying it, but also giving their two cents worth, to put it lightly. Was there ever a time um, for yourself? Because, you know, some of these comments and some of these, uh, you know, people's sentences and their thoughts on things and – sometimes be, you know, just downright nasty. Mm. Um, even in the best of times, hey, man, you could win a belt, you could be the most over guy in the company, and there would still be some guy that would write, you know, 
guy or girl, I should say, that would say, oh, I don't like that. I don't like this. You can't, it's the old thing with entertainment. You can't please everyone, but you can damn sure try. Was there ever a point where some of those comments and some of those, you know, naysayers I want to, I want to put out there, did they ever get under your skin? Did you start going, fucking, everyone just sort of stop being so anti this and just see, let us try this? Or was it like, hey, man, any, any publicity is good publicity? Because surely after a while, you, you get that little sort of scratch and go, God, this is really starting to annoy me, these, these people. Was there ever a moment of that for you or anyone in the group for that matter? Look, Coyote is a very sensitive young man, so he sure. would take offence to some of the stuff that would be said and so on. Mm-hmm. Me, I, like I'm a lot older than all of them. So to me, I just certainly didn't give a shit. I, it was like more fuel to the fire for me. And what I'd, I'd, I'd be antagonistic too. If somebody said something negative, I'd go on there and I'd bag the piss out of them just to have them keep going. Oh, so you're working them, yeah. Yeah, I'd work them because then the more they spoke about us, the more our, the interest on us was getting out there. Right. We worked them that hard that, you know, you slag us off, beautiful. You're just helping us get out there more and selling more shirts. So we didn't care. Yeah. Josh took it to heart a little bit, which is understandable because that's just the kind of kid he is. He's a good of heart. Of course. Yeah. Um, but no, there was never a point where I'd go, shit, we've just got to stop because it's just too much. I, we, I loved it. I, I wanted more. And I was like, oh, Cremato from Melbourne was another member of ours. Of course, yeah. We brought him in. And, you know, he, he was one of the ones I remember to this day. Says to me he loved how passionate I was about it and how much I would push and invest in time, well, as much as the other guys would as well. But you know what? To to pump social media that there's always new stuff out there, new logos, new clips, new pictures or anything. We worked our asses off to get mm. it. It wasn't, mm. well, it wasn't just an easy ride. We had to hammer that to make sure that it rose to where it had to be, negative or positive. So. And, you know, much like these most memorable stables and clicks and groups, um, you know, it's like the saying goes, man, all good things must come to an end. As quickly as it rose and as popular as it got and as over and as hot as that team collectively came to be, uh, what was it from that from your from your memory, from your recollection? Because I don't remember there being any infighting. You know, the guys would always talk in the locker room. I mean, you know that the guys always chatter and have their perspective on things. But yeah. the one thing that rang true was there never was a sense of like, you know, F you, you're doing that, I want to do that. There was never infighting, but it was almost this thing of one minute it's there. And then what it obviously wasn't, but it felt like this way is the next thing, the the, the guys aren't wearing the shirts, it the pages stopped responding to people and it just went Yep. Like it just it was like pumping that brakes, hitting that handbrake and going, okay. Yep. So as <laughs> as the the drunken innovator, I want to say, but <laughs> having this having this idea, I was only one of the innovators. There was a few of them. <laughs> I don't know if drunk or not, but I know I was. <laughs> All right. Well, um, as one of the main forefronts, um, one half of the the debut of that group. Um, mm. do you remember the conversation or the moment or what what happened? Like what happened to that? group to, to cause it just to abruptly stop the way that it did what had happened was a lot of the promoters somewhat in well in in a lot of the states i can't single-handedly point to one state in particular it was happening in a few of the states that they would turn around and say to members of the group you know what we really want you to work here we love what you do and so on but you can't wear 
that shirt and represent that brand here. If mm -hmm. you insist on doing that, we won't have you on the show. Mm. And the guys at first were like, well, fuck you. You know, that's how their mindset. But then it became a thing of, you know, well, I'm, I'm losing work, I'm losing money. Um, I really want to work there, but they say I can't wear my colours. And mm. we had discussions about that between all of us and so on. And, you know, my mindset was, well, I don't give a shit what they say. Right. Um, these other lads, well, the other people in the group were still more active than what me, a lot younger than me, really wanted to go work these other places and so on. Mm. I said to them, I said, look, go ahead. If you want to do that, do that. But if we do do anything involving the stable together, you must still be involved and wear our colours. And they were like, yep, no worries, all good. Mm. And then it kind of climaxed up to a big show. I think it was Super Clash AAW in Perth. Mm. And that's where I was billed and wrestled Scott Steiner. Yeah, that was uh, 2017, the uh, October 28th, 2017. Yeah. So that was the night that we brought Shark into the group as well. We had all of the members there. We had Adam Girardi, our, our mouthpiece, our manager, our little antagonist, yep. who did a sensational job in his role. He was amazing. You know, he was this little fella, red hair, red long beard. We put the Harley Davidson leather cap on him. He's got mm -hmm. these ridiculous cowboy boots. <laughs> amazing jacket like Jimmy Hart used to wear. He, yep. he just looked the money. He had a stock whip from a horse riding. He had everything. So he his character was – I used to – his character to me was my favourite above all. Yeah. Um, so we were all there and, you know, we're, we're in the locker room with Scott Steiner and I'm crapping myself as it is thinking, Jesus Christ, I'm going to wrestle Steiner. Well, mm -hmm. he was going, Jesus Christ, I'm going to wrestle Maniac. No, he didn't. No. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping. But yeah. we, we had the show. The show was massive. It was sold out. I had an awesome match with Steiner. I made friends with him, which was great because a lot of people were frightened of him and scared of him and this and that. But me and him got along fantastic. Um, that, to me, was my final match, unbeknownst to me. Okay. I'd had a lot of injuries. I had a terrible hamstring injury. Um, I think we did – after that, we did a one show in Melbourne, PCW. It was an invasion-style gimmick that we did where Bullet Click were going to invade PCW. Mm. Pretty sure we did that after the Steiner match. Yeah, uh, it, was a, it was a month later, the yeah. 18th of 18th uh, of November, yep. There we go. So that was a, a really big success for us. You know, we pulled the gimmick. We even had separate entranceways. With PCW had their original and purposely built entranceway in their own facility, and we made a separate one over here in between the grandstands for us to come out with our own banner above it and so on. So we made it that we were all completely separate coming in to just rip up their their company. Mm -hmm. We did that show. I was injured. I was supposed to have a full-on match with Steve uh, Stevie Philippe, who's mm -hmm. Tony's brother, who's an incredible worker as well. Mm -hmm. And we filmed this gimmick backstage where we kicked Cremator out of the group. Right. And I'd already had somewhat a lingering injury in my leg, and that's where my hamstring gave way in backstage filming this thing. I think, shit, I've got to have this amazing match with Stevie and so on, and I don't know if I can do it. Mm. And I don't know how I'm going to get through it. So we ended up changing the match to make it a very old-school, heelish-style 
I'm just going to cheat my ass off and do everything I can, you know, that the referee's going to hate. So we did. I had a chain. I was choking Stevie with a chain. Adam had the old powder in his pocket gimmick where he'd throw that to Stevie's face. I'd choke him, this, that, and the other, and use the chair on him. Long story short, I got through the match. I wasn't comfortable, but I got through it. Um, and then it turned into, I think it was a five-on-five tag match at the end, which then turned into, I think it was a clusterfuck right at the end. But we put PCW over as them regaining their own facility back and keeping their brand. And I think poor Adam actually took his first bump ever, and his first bump ever was a power slam through a table. Welcome to the School of Hard Knocks, man. Yeah, uh, mate, it's, it's the night he'll never forget, that's for sure. But, uh, and it looked incredible, and we've got an amazing DVD that was made of it called uh, uh, Invasion that was selling quite good as well. So, I mean, that in itself was huge for us. So we that was my, my crescendo, I think, was Steiner was my final match. The PCW show was my final show. And that's where I said to the boys, I said, I can't do this anymore. I physically cannot do this anymore. And basically hang them up from there. And that was it. And I think that was the the decline of the group itself because the simple fact that no one had as much drive and push in them and the time to be able to invest into pushing that group and keeping it where it was. So mm. sort of disbanded discreetly from there and everyone moved off into their own little things again and kept going. So Right. And... Were you happy that it that you got that you got to do it and it got as big as it was, or would you, if you could change things, say you didn't have the hamstring, say you could do it for like another six months or whatever it would be, were you happy for how much you got over and how much you got out there, or would you, looking back on it now, you go, oh man, I really wish we did one more thing here or there, or were you satisfied? I was pretty content on where we were and where we got to with it. I mean, it was a massive climb so fast, you know. Yep. I, you know, I don't think any other stable in Australian wrestling ever has done what we did. Mm. And I don't think they ever will either. That's, that's a true fact. But I don't know if, if we pushed it any longer. I think, you know, a lot of other companies were against us because they were telling our guys that they were going to be blackballed mm-hmm. and be able to be on the show if they wore our colours and stuff like that. So I think it was the right time to call it a day with that group because then all of our other boys could proceed on and do other stuff that they wanted to do. Um, and because I was somewhat of the figurehead and the focal point, I'd stepped away. I was quite happy for it to just, you know, die a slow death, so to speak. I mean, people still think about it and talk about it now, and I get messages now and then about it, which is great. So it's not dead, but, yeah, it, it, it served its purpose and had its life. So uh, if, if, the, if the wrestling gods sort of put their minds together, the figurative wrestling gods, I don't mean anyone in reality, but hey, the wrestling gods sort of work their pal and, and life returns to normality, as we would put it. And uh, let's say, <laughs> let's, let's say the, uh, the, the bullet click chat, combined chat, had a little notification bell went off, said, hey, we have an opportunity to do one more. Would you do it? Maybe. Damn it. (laughs) I wouldn't do it without the Australian faction. I wouldn't need all of them. I wouldn't do it. The internationals, I can understand, is a very hard thing to bring together. But if it could be everyone that we set up in the first place, all together as one, even if it's like one big reunion thing or something or other, you'd have to be all or nothing. If that 
was possible, yeah, maybe. Right. Okay. Damn it. The reason I said damn it for those listening, it's not because you said damn it as in maybe as in like, oh, no, he's going to do it. I went damn it because I've been trying to get you to admit that you'll do it. I want you to say yes. Okay. <laughs> so damn it. You didn't say yes. But you said maybe. Babe. So it's not a no. It's a maybe. <laughs> so during this time now, is this the point where, you know, you, you've had those, um, to put it very lightly, had those legal battles and you've moved up here. Those sort of get summarized now. Everything gets finalized, and it's everything's happy days. Yep, you know, you know, had a happy ending. My uh, my little boy ended up with me, which right. he should be, uh, and he's a very very happy young man. So yeah, so that that situation took care of itself. Obviously, not so much a, a physical toll, but definitely emotional, mental toll. So there's a lot of weight. Being lifted here, the wrestling. Okay, physically I can start to heal. Hey, this is now picking up as well. Must be feeling like you're almost getting a second wind here. You know, a second wind of life. Going, all right. So, you know, the wrestling's done. I'm, I'm. It was what it was, but I was happy about it. Mm. But now it's like, hey, you know, th these other elements are also relaxing and, and resolving themselves. Is this around the time now where you, you say, okay, well, I'm, I'm still an imposing dude on, on flyers and posters and, and of entertainment is this where you start getting that little scratch and that itch of going hey maybe i'll give acting a go see how that's like no i'd done acting before i've been acting for probably around 10 years i'd already done six or seven films okay uh, but this this time that you're talking about is more so where it had transgressed more into being able to do the reality show maniac uh, enforcer and protector which was just about me and my life and the way that I work with bodyguard work and family and all that sort of stuff. So that had started. And a director that I'd been connected with for quite some time, he's called Ralph Noga, had uh, a lot of ideas that he wanted to push forward with me. And there was a movie that we were supposed to start filming in July. And it, subsequently it was called Hunter. He'd named the movie before he even knew that my son's name was Hunter. Right. So, that was ironic. And he's a very spiritual man. So he said to me, he said, this is a sign. This is a definite sign that this must be made. Mm -hmm. uh, and he told me the idea behind it. And uh, I had a look at it and had to think about it. And I'd, I'd saw and heard about the word pedophile was thrown around a lot in this script. Mm. And I didn't understand too much, to be honest, about it. It didn't sink in, but I wasn't comfortable with that idea. And I'm like, oh, I, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I want to do this film because I'm, I'm the lead actor in this film. It would be a movie, my movie. So I spoke to Ralph about it a bit more and then he clarified it to me. He turned around and he said, yeah, it's a movie about pedophiles, but he said, you turn into a serial killer that is hunting and killing pedophiles. Right. I mean, okay, yeah, you're, you're killing people when you're, you know, a, a serial killer and all that, but you know what you're doing? You're killing the biggest scum on this earth, mm. doing this earth a favour. So to me, I see it as a Captain America role. Of I course. See it as a hero role. And yeah. whenever I talk to anyone about it, they'll go, oh, my God, I wish I could do that. Mm. I wish I could do that in real life. So to me, it's a very important film that we have to make to get this. I don't condone murder. I don't condone killing or hurting anyone. Absolutely not. But this is a story, this is a film, and the idea behind it, the premise is, is you're eradicating these evil bastards that live in our time. 
So that movie that you were on that, um, you know, of course, having those feelings and those restrictions upon heading into it about going, man, I really don't want to do a movie with the P word. Yeah. What then happened to that film? Is it is it all shot and done or are we still on the looming processes of seeing that? No, look, it never even <clears throat> hadn't got off the ground yet. Right. We were going to start filming in July. The 4th of July, in fact, was the, the start date for the shoot and obviously <laughs> the virus happened and everything. So... It's, it's been pushed back to next year now, but uh, it's been pre-planning. We've got sites that have been scouted and all that sort of stuff. We've got people cast already in certain roles. Um, we've got a nightclub that's already set, willing to be involved, where there's, uh, without saying too much, there's a, a rather big fight scene in the nightclub where I'm actually going in there to get one of my victims that's in a you know party that's happening in the club. So yep. the way I have to get him out without the bouncers attacking me because they see me dragging him out but they have no idea who he is so i've got to fight off them but to protect the, the victim my victim so that then i can take him outside and slaughter him so right just a casual day at the office for you man you know <laughs> <laughs> and this is a movie right this is, it is it is it's, it's uh, almost like a what do you call it like a a dream come true when you figure out exactly what happens in it it all comes full circle. The club's called Heaven and Welcome Home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, how much, uh, I, know you, I know you can't say too much, and I know these pro, um, these kind of productions and things like that are very hush-hush uh, at the best of times. Did you? But for yourself, being a part of that role, was it very much, okay, you're just the actor and this is what we've got, or did you have a little bit of creative input yourself? Um, well, look, working with Ralph Noga, the director, who I've worked with a few times already, he always does give me, you know, a little bit of wiggle room with creativity and so on. Mm -hmm. um, I believe my, I'm actually executive producer on the film as well with the right. assistance that I'm doing, plus the acting as well. Um, because it's funny, this, this movie itself is a prelude to a, a main feature film that Ralph is doing as well next year. It's called Ecto. He's been planning this for years. And my character, John Cotton, in Hunter, actually transfers from Hunter through into Ecto. The ending of Hunter basically blends into the start of Ecto. So it's interesting. It's a, it's a follow-on. So. Oh, perfect. It's always good. Um, you know, much like we've spoken about, you've always been a forward thinker, always been a planner, always looking for that new direction. And, man, nothing excites you more than knowing at the very end of doing this kind of project that, hey, We'll put it in a part two. Yeah. So absolutely looking forward to that. So, yeah, so that's going to kick off hopefully really soon. I mean, with everything the way that it is, it looks like, you know, things are slowly starting to get to normal. And, man, I really hope it takes off the ground. But that's what was happening for you post-wrestling. So obviously at this point, you know, the wrestling stopped. You felt like I've done enough that I can physically. You're, you're saying I, I just need the time. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you're starting to not only – go back, I would say, because you were still doing all the other um, bodyguarding, um, acting. You were still very active and had a life of your own with your own business and family, things like that. So it wasn't like you just sort of went home and sat on the couch and went, now what do I do? You were still very active in your life at that point. But hey, it's like that old saying, the minute you walked away, did you? was it hard to adjust not being in the ring or were you ready? Were you going, I'm, I'm glad I'm out? Physical pain aside. Yeah, look, I think the steps that I took to make it easier for myself was, one, I went through my Facebook and removed any 
wrestling pages that I had liked or was attached to. I wanted to separate myself from that world completely. Of course, yeah. I didn't want to see anything. I put, you know, I decided I retired. I put up a big post on Facebook in a couple of places and it got shared everywhere. <clears throat> so people knew that I was quite happily done. Um, but then I thought, now I need to separate my world from that world so that I don't see that and that enabled me to be able to move on easier. Mm. <clears throat> I just didn't want it in my face anymore. And I think I even, and, and no disrespect to any of these people whatsoever, but I think I actually removed a whole heap of people on my Facebook that were wrestlers and so on because they would keep posting their stuff, which, of course, they're granted to do so and good on them for doing that. But I just didn't want to see it. So I just pulled right back from that world altogether and, and stepped away and just focused on everything else I was doing. So, Did you, I mean, obvious question to ask and you know I, I think it people would wonder you know you, you eliminate all the wrestling out of sight out of mind um but obviously you know you had that huge stable of the bullet clip where you know we, we tallied it up just before about 15 people total did you remove them because they were wrestlers or was that sort of blurring the lines for you between friendship and the wrestling yeah no look the everyone that was a member of of that stable was mm. a friend of mine, a legitimate friend of mine. So from memory, I'm pretty certain I didn't remove any of them at yeah. all. We, we were a family as well as a, a wrestling stable and people that went out to entertain and so on. You know, we, we had each other's back. We talked all the time. There was discussions about this and that. So, you know, and plus two, I, I enjoyed watching like Craven from WA just spread his wings and go all over the world, wrestle in Mexico, wrestle in Singapore, this, uh, he just went everywhere after that, and it was incredible to see him do it. So I was very proud of him. Yeah. So you got that family connection. The guys were there. Did Ooh. they understand? Like when you said I'm done, were they understanding of it? I'm sure there would probably be a bit of wiggle room. The guys going, "Oh, come on," you know. But when you said, "Look, no, I'm definitely out," did they get it? Were they yeah. on board? Yeah, no, yeah, no. There was never a push to say, "Come on, you can keep going" or anything. They all completely understood. I mean, they understand my age. They understand my injuries and. What it takes for me to get ready to get into the ring itself. Um, so even the preparation, if I know there's a big match coming, I've got so much prep I have to do before it, more so than anyone else. You know, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not 18 anymore. I'm not jumping into the ring in a pair of tap-out shorts and a t-shirt and volleyball knee pads. You know, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm, you know, fully decked out in complete wrestling gear from, you know, leather chaps that are airbrushed, custom made, to a leather vest that's custom made and airbrushed everywhere to the mask, to the contacts, to the strap, the shoulder strapping that I'd have to have done, the braces on my biceps, you know, my wrists, the gloves, everything was specific for that one character. And that's a lot to, one, carry around with you. I always had to have excess luggage every time I travelled somewhere. Yeah. You know, that steel chain everywhere I went. Mm. And that's a massive thick chain that you would, like, lock a bike up to a fence. Mm. I remember when I travelled to the US to wrestle over there, I couldn't take my chain in my luggage. Really? So leave it behind, yeah. So when I got to the US, I went to a hardware store and I've walked in there and everyone's looking at me to start with because there's this ginormous man with this terrible goatee. <laughs> and I've walked down an aisle and I found where all the rolls of chain are and I found someone to say, hey, come here. He's walked down, he's kind of looked at me and he said, yes, sir, can I help you? And I'm like, I need some chain. He's okay. He goes, how much? So I've ripped it out, I've pulled it out like this, put it around my neck, adjusted it, and I've gone, that much. And he just stared at me like, uh. 
gone off and got the bolt cutters and cut it for me. And I just grabbed it and said, thanks, mate. See you later. And he just stood there staring at me as I walked all the way down the aisle. It's the funniest thing ever. <laughs> Man, the thoughts, the thoughts to be in his mind at that point, seeing you come down that aisle, uh, wrap a chain around your neck and go, thanks, that's all I needed. Yeah, it's like, is it jewellery or are you going to murder someone <laughs> yeah. and hang around their neck? Am I party to an upcoming crime? Or, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then of course, the icing the cake was, oh, you don't sound like you're from around here. Yeah, mate, definitely not. It's like, yeah. what <laughs> what a day at the office for that guy. <laughs> How did you figure that one out? It's true, buddy. <laughs> Cheers, Cobber. Yeah. So, um, all right, so the wrestling stops. Everyone's accepting of it. Uh, you adjust to it pretty well. You know, you you, you felt this was the time. Um but the bodyguarding still continues at this point. Now that the wrestling has uh, has stopped for you at this stage, does the bodyguarding, although you were still doing it throughout the run that you had, mm-hmm. were you did this sort of now pick up more because it, it was now back to being full time major priority? Even though you know at that time, it, you know as we as we talked about, sometimes it fluctuated depending on you know the bullet click where you were, how the people's demand to see you. Yep. So if there are probably were some times where it felt like okay, one's weighing outweighing the other maybe just a little bit. But now that one system is completely removed, mm. does the bodyguarding now obviously by default become main priority? But does it get even more for you at this stage? Yeah, it did increase more. I think it was I'd actually got in line and met a gentleman by the name of Anthony Yanko that owns a promotional company. What's well, an event touring company basically called Anthology. And he brought people out of the likes of Steven Seagal, John Travolta, and Jean-Claude Van Damme. And, of course, they were looking for a security manager to be able to assist with doing the logistics, the bodyguarding, all of that sort of stuff. So I was lucky enough that uh, I was the one that they chose to, to go forward and do that. they seen of who I was with before, with the likes of David Beckham, you know, Queen Elizabeth's granddaughter, that calibre of oh. people to look after, mm-hmm. they, you know. Their, their talent that they were going to bring over would be in good hands. And of course, too, the talent would be comfortable because that's the main thing is that the talent are comfortable with whoever is looking after them. I know that some talent have come out before and they've had a shot at the promoter to say, you know, what the hell is that guy going to do there to protect me? Sure. So it's, it's a t- I mean, look, I'm lucky enough. I'm bigger in literally every facet than most people. So, I mean, they normally feel safe and comfortable with me. Yep. So, and that's where it makes it a lot easier. And that's where, I, I don't know if that's the one reason why they chose me. I doubt it. They probably knew that I'd done other stuff before and my resume spoke for itself. So being in line with them, it, it made our personal protection work pick up a whole lot more. And especially with, you know, A-listers like John Travolta. Did, was, this the, was this the time now where you it was your second incarnation of your security company at this point? Yeah, this is uh, my second company that we created uh, called Shadow Security Group. Yeah. So we had Sundown Protection Services. Now we have Shadow Security Group. Uh, the emphasis in the name is about shadowing people like we do when we protect them. Mm-hmm. So um, it sort of it went perfectly together, and it works well when you say, "Oh, you're the guy from Shadow." They go, "Yeah, we can see why." So yeah, it worked out quite well. So yeah, no, it's been. Extremely successful so far. We're very grateful. With, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I'm, I'll have to ask the inevitable question of, I'm sure you have some 
some great stories during the time that you've been guarding people. But to, to take a quick sidestep here, you brought it up just before. What was the difference for you in terms of, um, I guess, professional intensity from the difference between, say, guarding someone like a rock band or a celebrity, but now you get the email or the phone call or something comes through where it goes, hey, this is a member of royalty. Was that like, I'm, sh I'm like, I don't know how the message came through, but let's say if, hypothetically before, obviously you reveal, you get that email come through. That must have felt like that would have been a bit of a out of body kind of moment. They're going, ah, uh, that's, that's royalty. That's well, not just some guy that's put out a, you know, 20, 20 million records or something. This is, this is a lot more. So what was, what was that experience for you like when that happened? It's, it's completely different. Like all of them are always completely different. Yep. You can go from, you know, being told you're looking after a rock band. Um, I, I can't name names, but I can tell you they are the most loosest people you ever meet. They run <laughs> their own time. They do whatever they want. They go wherever they want, and you just have to make sure they're safe. So they're probably one of the hardest clients to look after. Then you go to TV celebrities. I looked after an English reality TV show gentleman. I can't name him either. All he does is party, and he's probably twice as loose as a rock band. <laughs> right. Absolutely ridiculous. Then you move on to people like like John Travolta, A-list movie star, Hollywood celebrity. You know, he is an absolute utter gentleman. He is completely professional. One of the most amazing men I've ever met in my life. I got the most amazing advice from him once. Uh, he said to me, he goes, you know, everything that happens on social media and all this sort of stuff. And I said, yeah. He goes, do you read any of it? Do you look at any of it? And I said, well, yeah, I do. I said, I don't like a lot of it. I, I try not to when I can. I said, but you just, you sometimes have to. Well, people tell you, they go, oh, did you see what that person wrote about you? And he goes, I'll give you a piece of advice that I live by right now. He goes, do not ever look at anything on social media. He goes, I don't. I never do. He goes, all of my people around me, if they come up to me and they go, hey, John, did you see this on, on he stops them straight away. And he goes, before you say anything, how is this going to benefit me? Will this benefit me at all? And they turn around and they go, no. And he goes, right, well, I don't want to know. Yeah. And they go, okay, cool. And they walk off. Mm -hmm. And it's probably the most brilliant bit of advice I've ever heard of. And, you know, I, when I was looking after John when he was here in Australia, it made massive press and media everywhere. Yeah. And I got as much attention as what he did. And people were writing certain things on the internet. My staff were coming to me and saying, did you see what was on the internet with you with you and this and that and the other? And I said, no. And they said, oh, you should have read it. And I did exactly what John said. I said, wait. I said, am I going to be happy about it or am I not? And they go, oh, well, there's some funny stuff and then there's the bad stuff and then there's good stuff. And I said, I don't want to hear about any of it. I said, you guys enjoy it? I said, but as far as I'm concerned, I don't care. I said, I'm the one doing the job, getting the work and getting the publicity as well. So I'm happy to take it. But as far as anything else, I don't care. Yeah. Like, wow. Okay. So he, he gave me great advice. I remember standing in the lift with him once we'd gone down in the car park, got him out of the car. We're standing in the lift. I'm standing right next to him. Next minute he puts his arm around me and he puts his head on my shoulder. I said, are you all right? And he goes, I'm so tired, Wayne. And I said, I'll get you to your room, mate. Don't worry. He goes, oh, thank you. <laughs> that was the kind of relationship I ended up having with him. He was great. Was that the first time you'd interacted or done work, bodyguarding work for, for John? Or was this sort of a... First time. First wow. time. When he walked off the jet, because he flew his own jet over here, 
Mm-hmm. He's come off the jet, he's walked straight up to me, he's put his hands out, and the first words out of his mouth were, wow, you are impressive. <laughs> Thank you very much. So, But that's <clears throat> moving forward into, yeah, getting an email like you, you need to look after uh, a member of the royal family. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a real big one. There's a lot of paperwork involved. There's confidentiality involved. There's all that sort of stuff. There's clearances. There's this and that with logistics, the works. Um but yeah, it, it, look, I was not the only one. There was six of us, so there was wow. six of us in the in the duty party that had to look after us. So yeah, it was a big deal. Big deal. It, arguably, I mean, you know, you would have, like you were just saying, you would have guarded some of the world's brightest and greatest, and for like they're of loosest. Um, but having that email come through and doing that job, that must have felt like. Through everything that the company that you've done in both incarnations of it, that would have felt like a very much a golden feather in the hat kind of moment. Like to have that come through and for them to trust you and and hire you for that work, you must have felt like, okay, like looking back now, that kind of feels like, you know, I'm doing amazingly well. Like I've I've done the good job for them to come to you like that. Did it feel like that at all? Were you like, hey, I must be doing something really right here? And I mean, you're a guy that doesn't need to be told that anyway, but having that professional email come through, it must have felt like professionally, yeah, I'm I'm if if nothing else, I'm doing something definitely right up from getting offers and emails like this. Yeah, it 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 solidified our reputation, I think is the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, and to know that within my home state of South Australia, I'm the only person that has done that sort of work. Mm. in our industry here. Uh, absolutely, there's there's other people around Australia that have done it, clearly because there were six of us involved in the detail when we looked after uh, this member of the royal family as well, and they were from Queensland and a few other places as well. So there was quite a few of us around that are extremely capable, but my goal and star was the fact that I am the only one in my own home state that's able to supply that sort of protection and be requested to do it. Yeah, yeah, that must, that must have spoke volumes professionally. and. For after that came through, is is that uh, just so I can timeline it? Uh, is after that email came through, is that when sort of the A-listers and all sort of a high caliber, to put it in perspective, started coming through? Like, did that sort of open the doors to situations like that, or were there already sort of members and or like did, did this royal situation provide a a bigger influx of these uh, stars? Yeah, look, it was kind of happening a bit already at the time. I think I'd done David Beckham prior mm-hmm. as well. Yep. Um, but it certainly opened a lot of doors because once you can include that on your resume. Of course, yeah. Everyone goes, holy shit, okay. So, yeah. And especially when you get other clients um, that come to you and they say, oh, so who have you looked after before? And you start to sprout off a few names and you drop the royal family and you drop David and a few others. They're like, oh. Okay. Yeah. All right. We've got the right person. I guess. <laughs> he seems to know what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. Man, real quick, because I do want to continue on with your story. That must have felt like a weird thing to add to the resume. It was. <laughs> Big time. Yeah. <laughs> Going back and looking back on grade 11 and filling out that paperwork would have been like, man, I really hope I don't lose this one <laughs> typing that out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> And that'll do it for part two with The Maniac. I want to thank Wayne for coming in, but don't fret, it's not the end. We are one more part with him next week. Hey, if you haven't done so already, please follow Little Man Big Conversations on the social medias at LMBC Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at LMBC underscore podcast on 
winner. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>